And so it's, what is it, February the something, 19th, 2023 A.D. The world still counts time by Jesus. Let's have a prayer and we will begin. Our Father, we're grateful to you for this day. As the scripture says, as Paul says, in you we live and move and have our very being. Because of that, we know you hear us. Because of Jesus, we know you hear us. And we're grateful for the access that you give. We thank you for the high, high price that you paid on our behalf, that he paid on our behalf to give us an adoption as sons and daughters. Father, we want to lift up Vern and Brenda and Barbara's family today as they grieve her passing. They'll miss her terribly. And uh, Father, I'm thankful for the peace they will have because of her life and her relationship to you. And that's what we live for, Father, is our, our passing, our transition. And we, as Paul says, we have great hope for the future because of Jesus and our relationship to you through him. Father, help us to realize the days we have are so very important. And the time you give us is so very important and a great opportunity to share your light. Please bless our study today and uh, be with us as we look at your word in the book of Romans. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we're in Romans 6, and we we got through about verse 5. Let me just pick up... uh, reading here what Paul was talking about. We made the point last week that Paul stresses in chapter 4 our dependence and salvation by faith as contrasted with the works of the law. And he goes over that in several times, several verses, and then he gets into verse 5. And he repeats that theme in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God, uh, to God, with God through Jesus. He emphasizes faith, and then he immediately goes into a discussion in the next few uh, paragraphs about their baptism. And the point I tried to make in that as we looked at that, was that Paul saw no distinction whatsoever with with the act of baptism and faith. It's part of faith. It's all together. No separation. And he he just makes the natural move there. And uh, that's a little different than the the way the world looks at it today so many times. Uh, An act of obedience is considered a work of merit. And... uh, that's a man construction. The scripture doesn't indicate that at all, ever. God has always, as an A-L-W-A-Y-S, always, expected and required obedience of the human uh, follower to be considered faithful. 
to be considered pleasing. Always. Uh, obedience is never considered anything, has nothing to do with merit or work of man. And we looked in Colossians chapter 2 how Paul was explaining that they were circumcised by a circumcision without hands, a spiritual circumcision, cutting away the body of sin, having faith, when he says we were buried with him by baptism, having faith in the operation of God, faith that God is doing something. God is applying the sacrifice of Jesus to the believer. God is giving the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believer. God is making them new. God is forgiving sins. Faith in the operation of God is how Paul describes baptism in Colossians 2. He goes into a similar explanation when we get to Romans 6. So I'll start reading. Uh, so let's pick up reading in chapter 6 and verse, well, let's just start with 3. Where Paul, well, let's just start with some, let's uh, start with 1. Should we keep on sinning so that we'll get more grace? And Paul says in verse 2, of course not. That's not what this is about. And then he starts to explain in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now that phrase, into his death, that idea is going to come up again later in the chapter. So just remember it's here. He's going to come back to that. Uh, we were, verse 4, buried therefore with him, with, with, with him, by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Some versions will say be raised to walk in newness of life. Going through a burial, a death, and a resurrection. All by faith, commanded by God, commanded by Jesus. One of the last things he said uh, before he left the earth, he gave the command for his followers to go and to make believers, uh, make disciples of believers to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So now he's continuing his explanation here in verse 6 of what has just happened in their baptism. We know that our old self was crucified with him. He talked about we're baptized into his death, right? Verse 4 and 5. So he says we know that our old self was crucified with him in verse 6 in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. He's going to come back to that idea when we get to chapter 7. One who has died has been set free. Verse 8, let's see. Okay. So now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We've died with him. He was raised from the dead. We'll be raised too. We'll live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no longer has dominion over him. That's, that's the thing of Christianity right there. What powered the growth of the church in the first century, the motor that was empowering the spread of the gospel, 
was their faith in the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and their coming resurrection. That's what powered them. That's what gave them. That's why they would go into the Colosseum. That's why they would suffer persecution. They said, this is not, this is just a short window of time. Our life is much bigger than that, and it goes into the future. It goes to a resurrection with Jesus. That's why they talked about Jesus. That's, that's why they talked about him becoming flesh, him being crucified to pay our sin debt. Coming out of the grave, we can too. He ascended. He's our high priest right now to plead our case before the Father, and he will return in the great roundup. That was their message. What do I have to know to share the gospel with someone? That's it. God became flesh to identify with us. He paid our sin debt. We've all sinned. He paid our sin debt. It's paid if we accept him. He paid it at the cross. He died and he was raised. He overcame death. He's ascended now as our high priest and he's coming back one day. That's the message. Uh, so the message of Christianity is not terribly complicated. Not terribly complicated. There's a lot in the scripture that we don't understand that is very complicated, but the message of salvation is very simple and easy to share. Okay, so it's important that we notice there in verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Um, death no longer has dominion over him. It says in the next verse, verse 6, for the death he died, verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all the life he lives, he lives to God uh, Hebrew, the Hebrew writer talks about this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, since the children, referring to the human race, since the children are flesh and blood, he too became flesh and blood. And by his death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. By his death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. Because he was raised. 1 John 3, verse 8, it's an, a, a different take on why did Jesus come to the earth. You know, we know from Luke, he came to seek and save the lost. And that's usually the message that we hear. But John puts a different twist on it in 1 John 3, in verse 8. He says, he came to destroy the power of the devil. That was also why he came. He came to destroy the power of the one who is the enemy of God. And he did that in the resurrection. Paul has made that assertion through verse, especially in verses 9 and 10, and now he kind of switches gears a little bit in the next paragraph and uh, with a therefore because of that, because of what Jesus did, because of your coming to Christ, because of your being baptized into his death and buried with him and being raised new, because of that, then he makes a statement. He says, 
Get your minds right. Get your head on straight. That's what he's telling them. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So some were saying, so since uh, we get more grace through Jesus because of sin and because God's grace overcomes sin, shall we just keep sinning? And he addressed that in the first two verses of chapter 6. He says, of course not. And he comes back to it here, verse 17, uh, verse 12, and says, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't, don't give in to that. It's, you can't have it both ways. You can't straddle the fence. Grace is not cheap, we hear that said, and it's not. And the blood of Jesus is, is a high price for my sin. It's a very high price for me to take sin lightly. And Paul says here, don't let that happen. Don't just live giving in to your flesh. And you'll come back to that in a big way in chapter 7 when we get to that. Verse 13, he's continuing that same idea. Do not present your members as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members as God's instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Comment. Thoughts? Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. But you still have legal responsibilities. Richard said you still have legal responsibilities. God still expects us to be faithful to him. But sin will have no dominion over you, meaning what? Will not be your master, Bill says. We are still faulty. We live in the flesh. We are tempted to sin, and we do sin. But he says... It will have no power over you, meaning, I take it to mean no lasting power, no enslaving power, no legal power. Our sin debt has been paid by Jesus, paid. Because it has been paid, I'm not under the power of sin. Sin had a great power over mankind through the law because no one could keep the law perfectly. No one did keep the law perfectly. And the wages of sin is death. And since law did not have a provision for forgiveness, Hebrews 10 verse 4, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Because law had no provision for forgiveness, Sin had dominion over mankind. That's what he's saying in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He became flesh like the children, like humankind, and by his death destroyed the power of death and freed those 
who all their lives were enslaved by the fear of death, set free that, okay, what's going to happen? I've sinned. I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I have great fear of death. The message of Jesus is you'll be raised to life. Your sin will have no dominion over you, will have no lasting power over you. You will go through a transition, but I have overcome, and you will overcome as well. He goes into that in a lot of detail in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, since Jesus is raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who will be raised from the dead, that's verse 20, In 21, in verse 23, he says, when he comes back, those who are his will be raised also. Says in verses 51 through 53, your body will be raised immortal. Immortal. I never did get the deal of Superman and Batman fighting each other. How would Batman have any chance whatsoever to beat Superman? He had no chance, unless he had kryptonite. Stronger than Superman, your bodies will be raised immortal. So many times uh, I've found that people of the Christian faith believe there'll be spirits in, in heaven, spirits. No. It'll be a spiritual environment, but we won't be ghosts. That which he said, 1 Corinthians 15, it's all there. That which is buried in weakness will be raised in power. That which is raised corruptible and mortal will be raised immortal. That's what empowered the Christians of the first century, thinking about their future. We have, there's more to come. A lot more to come. If you don't like your body now, it's going to be much better when you get it back. Will we all be 25 in the resurrection? Maybe different ages for different folks. I don't know. (laughs) But it will be empowered. So, whatever it is, it's going to be good. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Well, he says in verse 20, Our citizenship's in heaven. It's not here on the earth. Our citizenship's in heaven. And we know that when Jesus comes back, we will see him as he is because we will be like him. Glorified bodies. Glorified bodies. A whole new eternal existence. Okay, let me find my notes here. Uh, you know, and one thing I didn't mention right there, but Jesus says in John chapter 5 that those who believe in him who sent me, being Jesus, 
He said, you have passed from death to life and you will not be under judgment. The judgment scene is not something for us to fear because my sins have been paid for. So I'm going into judgment with no sins. They've been paid for if I've been faithful. Turn with me to Colossians, uh, back to Colossians chapter 2 just for something real quick. Um, So Jesus said, you passed from judgment and from death to life. Notice this in Colossians chapter um, 1. Notice what he says in verse 21. You, writing to the church in Colossae, you were once alienated and hostile in mind toward God, doing evil. But he has now reconciled, reconciled, E-D, done, reconciled, it's been done, you in his body of flesh by his death. What happened at his death? He paid for all of our sins. Past and future, by the way. In order, why do he do that? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, some versions will say without blame. Some versions will say without accusation. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Then watch the next few words, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith. So there is a condition. It's not once saved, always saved, no matter what you do. If you decide to go into a life of rebellion, that's not the deal. It's once saved, always saved, if you remain faithful. That's what he says in verse 23, if you continue in the faith. That's an expectation there of obedience and faithfulness. Not perfectness, but faithfulness. So John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, as we walk in the light, his blood continues to forgive us of all of our sin. John says, you're not going to be perfect. He says in the end of chapter 1, the first part of chapter 2, if you say you're not sinning, you're lying and you're making God a liar, so we don't want to do that. So John is saying you're still going to commit sin, you're still going to be faulty, but if you walk in the light, if people can look at your life and see DJ's a Christian, he's honest, he's going to treat you right. He's a Christian, he follows Jesus. If that's his reputation as a believer and follower of Jesus, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood, present perfect tense is the word used there, continues to cleanse you from all sin. So the Hebrew writer says, he died to death once for all, once for all time and for all people who will come to him. What a great bit of news to tell people about. What a great bit of news to share. Sure don't want to keep that secret, do we? Uh Uh-uh. 
So, verse 14 of chapter 6, sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Law required perfection, Galatians 3.10, cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the law to do them. If you're going to stay under law, you've got to be perfect. Paul says in Romans 3, we just looked at that a few weeks ago, verse 20, by works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight. But he says you're under grace. Hebrews 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Mission accomplished, sin paid for, for all believers who come to me. And we just finished and look right back to chapter 5, verse 21. Sin reigned in death. Grace also will reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace will reign in righteousness. What does that mean? Grace will reign in righteousness. God gives us grace, he gives us forgiveness, and he does it righteously, meaning our sin debt has been paid. God paid a high price for my sins. He paid for it with his own blood. So God can be considered righteous because all of sin has been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus. So God is righteous and grace reigns in righteousness because I allow that payment on my behalf when I come to Jesus and I have God's righteousness, not mine. So grace reigns in righteousness. God is seen as righteous because he is the one who designed the payment for sin and he did it by shedding his own blood, the blood of his son. God did this for us. Wow, wow, wow. So he comes back in verse 15 to the same idea. I think he's afraid, okay, you guys, I I, I don't want you to miss this. So Paul has this uh, tendency to repeat major ideas. And he does it again here, now in verse 15. So, because he just said, you're not under law, you're under grace, you're forgiven. And then he comes in verse 15. So, are we to sin so that because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, of course not. <laughs> Haven't I explained that to you? You died to that lifestyle when you came to Christ. You made a decision to put that away. You're living for Christ now. You're living for, you're on God's, you're living to please the Lord God because you're able, you're forgiven and you're able to do so through his son. We have a new mission. We have a new mission. There's this thing called fan. So we have a lot of Denver Broncos fans. I was, I watched the second half of the Super Bowl a couple, what was it, a week ago or so? Two weeks? Whenever that was. By the way, it's just a game. <laughs> it's just a game. Probably out of this group, there are a few exceptions. 
most of us couldn't, without going to Google, tell us who the Super Bowl teams were three years ago. It's just a temporary passing thing. To some people, it's like life and death. You know, they take off their shirts, their coats, they paint their bodies, top half their bodies orange, and they go out there in 20-degree uh, weather and the and have you, you know, and so somebody makes a great play, makes it, scores a touchdown. I like sports. And you watch the fans and the cameras pans through the crowd and they're just going, ah! Don, you're listening to this uh, and you couldn't see my face when I did that, but you can imagine what that might have looked like. Can you imagine, just observe the emotion that goes into a football game? Fans, fanatics. Ah! <laughs> I mean, really. Now, we don't want to be called fanatics as Christians, do we? Jesus people. If I go to church, especially if I even go early on Sunday morning to Sunday school, when I come back on Wednesday night, people, are, they, my neighbors, they're going to think I'm some kind of fanatic. Well, I, yeah, you're a Jesus fan. But don't go up to your neighbor and go, ah, Christians, Jesus followers, fanatics. A new lifestyle, a new identity, a new identity. Jesus called it a light that shines on the hill. And people see your light and want to know what makes you tick. You're different. Why are you different? There's something different about it. I guarantee you, Mike Lopez back there, that the people at work where he works, who work for him, have seen a difference in him now compared to a year and a half ago. Guarantee you. So we should be known by the way we live, but not only by the way we live. Now it starts there. That's an automatic, Paul says. You're living for Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I speak. And then Paul says, we also believe, therefore we speak. Paul, what are you saying? We believe, therefore we speak. He's saying that somewhere along the way, people need to hear words coming out of our mouths that give honor to Jesus and talk about life in Jesus. An invitation to come to Bible study or whatever it is. We believe, therefore we speak. That's the logic. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to earth, that He's raised, that He's ascended to take our case to the Father and that He's coming back, that's too much not to talk about it. In some way, I see a hand, Richard. 
I see in here that uh, Paul is going back to what Yeshua said, that a man cannot serve two masters. A man cannot serve two masters. He is, absolutely. Good observation. That's what he's saying. You died to sin. Okay. Uh, so, I like, you're under grace now. I like what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It's one of your favorite verses. If it's not already, it needs to be. What a what a awesome passage, what he talks about there. By single sin offering, by single sin offering, he made perfect, made perfect, he did this, for all time, those who are being made holy process. He made perfect for all time those who are being, process, being made holy. We are forgiven always in Jesus. We're a work in progress. We're not perfect on our own, but we are made holy because of Jesus. We are being made holy as we mature and grow. We are not the same person today that we were 10 years ago. We don't have the same temptations and challenges today that we had 15 years ago. We are maturing. We are being made holy. But while we are being made holy, Hebrews 10, 14, we have already been made perfect forever because God doesn't have to look at us with the sin we have on our own. He looks at us through the lens of Jesus and we are in Jesus and Jesus is perfect and Jesus is holy and he sees us in Jesus. That's our new identity. So we can have peace and excitement about our salvation. Ha! <sighs> what a good thing. I've got eight minutes. I need to move on. All right, so... Uh, he continues the discussion here, verse 20, chapter 6, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You weren't, you weren't enslaved to righteousness when you're living sinful life. What fruit did you get from that? From doing the things you're now ashamed of? Well, the, the fruit you got is death. That's a great fruit. Ever look at some tree with, with figs or apples or whatever, and you look at them and they're rotten. He said, boy, I want some of that. Jordan wouldn't eat that. Bill was talking to me about eating worms in Africa when he was over there. I don't know. He said, the result you get from the fruit that you were getting from that lifestyle was death. But, verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin... What does he mean set free from sin? Free from the penalty of sin. Free from the dominion of sin. Free from what sin brings eventually. Free from that and you become slaves of God. Your fruit leads you to holiness and in the end eternal life. 
eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Richard. Read it loudly. This is uh, Paul's classic expression of the idea that the only place you can work your way to is hell. No one can work their way to heaven. Grace is the only way to Yeshua and Hashem. Well said. Only place we can work our way to is hell. Can't work our way to heaven. It's a gift. It's a gift in Jesus. It's a gift freely given in Jesus. It's a gift we claim in Jesus. And we accept it by obeying him and following him. What a gift. Okay, so chapter 7. Interesting chapter. We got six minutes if we're going to finish chapter 7 today. I'm going to have to talk real fast. Don't you know, brothers, and he says, I'm speaking to those who know the law, so his primary audience here in verse 1 and in this part of the letter is to the Jewish Christians. Don't you know, brothers, and I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? And then he goes into an illustration of a married person. He said, when you're married, when a wife is married to a husband, she's bound to her husband as long as he lives. That's the marriage setup. That's the contract that God gives us. The wife belongs to the husband. The husband belongs to the wife as long as they live. And then he goes on to say, now, but if the husband dies, she's free from that law. She's no longer bound to that husband if he's dead. She's free to marry another. He makes that illustration. And then he says this in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. No longer under the law as a means for your salvation. You died to it. When did that happen? When you were baptized into Christ, into the death of Christ, and buried with him by baptism into death, that like as he was raised, you too would be raised new. So you've died to the old way. And he makes the comment there, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may no longer, uh, so that you may belong to another. Who? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now you belong to Christ. You Jews, he says, you know about the law, you're no longer under the law. You died to the law in a death with Christ, and now you're belonging to another. You've been released to the old ways, the old law. You are now under grace through Jesus. God has brought a new relationship to mankind a new means to please him, a new means to be with him. The law and the prophets spoke about the coming covenant of Jesus. They prophesied about it. Jeremiah wrote about it. There's a new covenant coming. And then it was fulfilled when Jesus came. Verse 6. No, yep. 
Uh, verse 5, for while, we'll finish right here, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, verse 6, chapter 7, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The law of works held everyone captive. No one kept the law of works perfectly. Therefore, no one was justified by the law of works. Therefore, everyone was a slave to sin under the law of works at some level. So we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So we say there's a new day here. There's a new law. It's the law of grace. There's a new covenant. There's a new way to be with God. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for grace. All right, guys, have a great rest of the day. Hope to see you next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.